This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Uh, hi guys, thank you very much for joining us today on another uh, Dojo Live. Today we've, we're having Dan Van Oren, uh, he's from Idea Room. Uh, my name is Marielle, I'm gonna be your co-host today. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for, for being with us today. Um, first off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about Idea Room, what's the idea behind it? Yeah, so my career is a bit of an interesting story. Um, I started out at a startup company based out of Alaska during the original dot-com boom, and there weren't many in Alaska. Uh, it's possible we were the only one. Uh, it was a company called Life Postcard, and I started out essentially as a programmer. That's my background. My education was in computer science and management information systems, and I was actually finishing my degree at the University of Alaska Anchorage at the time uh, that I started working for that company. Um, they were doing the traditional route of VC funding, and when they went out for a second round of funding, uh, the market had collapsed. And so I moved on from that company at the time, though it was a great accelerator to my education and my career. Uh, and then I went to work in consulting in essentially custom software development for 12 years at another Alaska-based company called Resource Data. And uh, at that company, my progression was along the lines of programmer, senior programmer, technical lead, then I started managing projects, and at a certain point, they wanted to expand into the lower 48. And so I came to Boise and opened up an office here for them, and then I did the same in Houston, and then came back to Idaho. Um, one interesting thing to point out about Boise is uh, it's actually a great little up-and-coming startup hub. When I first considered moving here, I actually remember when the, uh, the CEO of the company gave me a list of places to consider, to open an office and I actually emailed him back and said, I don't wanna to go to Idaho, I don't know anything about it. And uh, I ended up calling some people in Idaho and they had very positive things to say. And so I ended up coming to Boise because I visited and they did a better job than anybody at uh, courting us as a business. So it's kind of an interesting way to end up in Boise but it's been great for my career. And after I went to Houston and then coming back to Boise for quality of life purposes, um, I basically ended up at RDI being one of the shareholders I served on their board of directors and I had kind of fulfilled the opportunity that I could take advantage of there and I got the startup itch. And so when I got back to Idaho, I started looking around. There's a lot of little angel investor communities that meet together here, a lot of uh, funding that goes on for new startups. And I bumped into my co-founder, uh, Russ Whitney at a, a Koretsu forum meeting that they were having here, um, sort of angel investors meeting and hearing, hearing deal pitches. And uh, that's how I got into Idea Room. And uh, in terms of my career arc here, uh, I started out as the VP of engineering. So we were co-founders, Russ was gonna run the company. I was going to lead the engineering effort. And uh, as of last month, I have transitioned to VP of sales and marketing. And that primarily came about because at a certain point, we had tried sales from a couple of different perspectives, including employing some dedicated salespeople. And we got the feedback from our board that Founders are most effective at selling at this stage of company. And so Russ and I took that on as half of our responsibility and I found out I, I really loved it. I had done some selling and consulting and I, I loved it even more here at Idea Room selling our service to companies that really benefit from it. And uh, we were able to 
attract someone to take over my role of VP of engineering that was going to do a great job. And so it was a good opportunity for me to move into a more, you know, a new role with more growth opportunities for me and more learning, which is something I've uh, really been attracted to throughout my career is just taking on bigger opportunities where I didn't know what to do. And so I could learn what to do um, and grow from there. Um, That's a very interesting transition. We'll yeah. have to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, I, I reminisce of something that I did something similar 24 years ago. Um, tell us a little bit about your company. What what gave birth to it? Tell us a little bit what it is, what you're solving, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So we actually pivoted and changed our name along the way. We started out as Sawtooth Ideas. Russ Whitney, my co-founder, really had the original idea for that company. And it was actually based around do-it-yourself projects, although it was closely related to what we do now in the 3D technology. So he wanted to enable people to do um, do-it-yourself projects, but make them resizable and adaptable. So along with instructions for how to build something like a cabinet system or a shelving system, you would have the 3D view. And if you wanted to change the measurements to fit a space, it would adapt to that and also show you the changes in 3D. Uh, so make them more interactive, uh, make them more adaptable. Um, and then in terms of like, we had to pivot at some point because we just weren't getting uh, enough traction and user growth. And it's a two-sided marketplace where you both sell plans and you have end customers. So that didn't quite catch on as well as we needed to. So we pivoted, but we wanted to keep doing the 3D technology and really the underlying idea was enable non-expert users, people that don't know how to use CAD to achieve something with the 3D technology. Um, so we came up with a couple of ideas and the first one we experimented with was 3D configurators to sell complex configurable build to order products. Think cabinets, sheds, carports, steel buildings, those kinds of things. And so we reused the 3D technology, but turned it into really a sales tool, a tool to sell online. And we ended up sticking there because as we went out looking for initial potential customers, we ran into this company, Studio Shed. It's a great company, very modern approach to kind of a, an old traditional industry. And they were selling modern sheds online, shipping them all across the country. And they had a vision from the start to sell using a 3D configuration tool so that people could see what they're going to buy. They didn't have it yet. They were trying to custom build one. And then we quickly you know, partnered up. We built our first shed configurator for them. And then over time, as we experimented with different industries, we have ended up settling on uh, working in sheds then going to carports, then going to steel buildings. And so we're kind of taking this technology into different verticals as we grow. And really in terms of underlying philosophy, since we're focusing on selling on the internet, we want to enable the best customer buying experience in a space where traditionally it is sitting down face-to-face, high-touch sales process, maybe over the phone, could take hours, days, or weeks of back and forth time making decisions, quoting the price, making changes, uh, and really making that immediate, interactive, even fun in the 3D configurator uh, for the customer. And then also enabling the, enabling the salesperson to be as effective and efficient as possible. So by the time a customer talks to them, they usually already have a configuration. They're further down in the selling process and it's very quick for them to close a sale so that they can close more sales in, uh, in a lower amount of time. And so that's really where we're focused on right now is build order products, 
enabling their sales conversation to be effective online and with the technology. That's fantastic. So definitely going to dig into that a little bit more. It Excellent. sounds like you've introduced the world's first reality for e-commerce, but I might be uh, over overreaching there. I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out in the next uh, in the next few minutes. Carlos, you want to introduce the topic that Dan chose for today and Absolutely. remind you to make questions, and we'll take Absolutely. it from there. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> thank you, Tulu. Uh, Dan, I understand that for today's conversation, you chose the topic uh, of designing and selling built-to-order products at internet speed, right? So, um, would you care to explain why why you chose this particular topic, please? Yeah. So, traditionally, these companies have not been able to take full advantage of e-commerce because their products are so complex, configurable and they build it to the customer's order. Uh, in the past, had websites that were printed on like brochures. They'd be galleries of different buildings that they had built previously. There'd be information about the products and the pricing, but sorting through it all would be a little bit difficult, especially on the pricing side of things. They usually needed a salesperson to price it for them because the pricing is more complex. And so these companies haven't been able to effectively sell their products online and really scale up their business in terms of uh, being able to sell more effectively and efficiently. And so when we talk about um, internet speed, what we're really trying to enable is both these companies to react to both the opportunity and the threat that's here. So the opportunity is they can reach a bigger audience online, customer buying behaviors are shifting so that everybody starts online. And so there's this opportunity for them to grow their business through the internet channel the threat is, if they don't do it, somebody is going to, whether it be a big national retailer, or I like to think that if Amazon was going to sell highly customizable sheds or other outbuildings, that they would likely do it this way. And so these guys have been a little bit protected in their regional spaces where they're just uh, working in a regional area. You have to ship a large building, which of course is fairly expensive. And so they've been protected from some outside competition. But these days, as Studio Shed has proven, you can sell them online, you can ship them around the entire country, and you can be effective at it. And so there's a threat that if they don't react to this and shift with customer buying patterns, um, that somebody's going to compete with them effectively and shut them down. So both enabling these guys to take advantage of that opportunity and help protect them against the threat, and for me, really helping them see greater success in their business, um, because everybody is already thinking about this. How do they sell more effectively online? So when I help them do that, um, it's very rewarding. So I know Marielle has a few questions to follow up, but I had one burning one that came up based on something you just said about uh, Amazon potentially offering this capability. Who is your customer base? Are you going direct and building a, a, plat a platform to sell products that people can sign up and sell their products through a platform? Or are people licensing your technology and who would those, who are your, your targeted customers basically? Yeah. So typically it's going to be the manufacturer or the retailer of the product. So some of our customers both manufacture the shed or the carport, and they also sell it directly to customers, either at retail locations or online or both. And then um, in carports, it's pretty similar. I mean, each of these industries is a little bit different, but they have large manufacturers, but they have a huge network of, you know, a thousand or more. 
Oops. Uh oh. You want mute. Uh, you're, you're mute. We lost you. Maybe your headset cut out. Yeah. Okay. Anybody have a good joke? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the good thing is that we can we can see we can see you, Dan, but we cannot hear you. So yeah, just use the mic on the on the. Yeah. You, you guys hear me again? I yeah. apologize. Yeah. Something yeah. hijacked my headset there. Uh -huh. Okay. Oh, it's never a dull moment uh, on Dojo Live, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the customer is really the manufacturer and the retailer who is selling to the end customer that wants to purchase the uh, the building or the product. Okay, so I, I understand that, but w what's your targeted type of? I mean, is, are there some industries that are better suited for this than others? And and is this is it really just three D or does it actually have the ability to do? Like I can actually see it on my yard, for example, like it uses some kind of augmented reality, or is that the plan to go in that direction? Yeah, augmented reality and virtual reality are actually good potential opportunities for us. Uh, we've seen more along the lines of augmented reality as sort of the low hanging fruit where you could take your configured building, overlay it on the interactive video and or image of your backyard and uh, see where what it would look like in context. Um, virtual reality is also a possibility. Now, it's really important to us, that customer experience. So the reason this is even possible for us to do these days is WebGL is built into just about every browser, uh, phone, tablet, and desktop. Um, and so virtual reality is just getting there where you could use WebVR, um, but it's not quite as ubiquitous but uh, it's definitely a potential place we may go to. So we're not doing it now, but we're constantly evaluating the right point at which to do some augmented reality. Mary, I'm gonna pass it to you, but just wanna remind the audience, if you have questions for Dan, you can submit them on Twitter at Dojo Live. If you're watching on LinkedIn, you can submit them right in the stream. Carlos keeping an eye out for them, and we will ask Dan those questions. Marielle, you have some questions for Dan? Sure. Um, I would like just to point at something. Uh, there are companies that work with items with products like configured to order products and then manufactured to order products. I think configured to order products is less specialized. What, what Idea Room is like a more specialized kind of thing for companies. Uh, and in this case, like, like Dan said, um, it's very difficult for them, you know, to, to jump into the digital market. Uh, Dan, what would you say is the biggest obstacle that you have found in regards of helping this kind of this kind of companies? Yeah. Um, so, in the terms of the customers that we do currently serve, what their biggest challenges are? Yeah. Like, have you found any reluctant customers? Like, they, they like your idea, but maybe they think that it's too expensive, or maybe they feel like they're not ready to jump into that kind of technology yet, or? Yeah, no, there are, there are a few challenges. Go ahead. The question talks to adoption. What are some of the adoption challenges you're facing? Who's welcoming this? Who's not? Why are they welcoming it? And why are some people resisting? What have you, what have you discovered throughout your journey of doing this? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one scenario we've run into is uh, a local company that we served here in Boise. I remember going in to meet with them face to face and uh, they just started using our 3D tool. And one of the salespeople actually asked us if we were gonna 
replace their job essentially. So that people could just order online and they don't need the salesperson. Um, and this is actually why when I talk to folks, I really tell them there are two audiences and users for the tool. It's both customers being end customers of our customer, the person that's purchasing the product and salespeople. Because at the end of the day, the salesperson can be truly more effective in what they do uh, to sell more. And so that as their company grows and scales, they can scale with a uh, fewer number of people. And um, a lot of times we encounter folks where their salespeople are just overwhelmed with inquiries on the internet. Like if they put up a contact us form and if they have really good, relatively good SEO and people can find them, they might just get inundated with uh, leads, but they not, might, be, might not be highly qualified leads. We kind of call it the, the tire kicker problem where somebody isn't really ready to purchase. They aren't serious, but they just want to ask basic questions. And that's a great scenario for the configurator because it can educate and qualify the customer without having to spend expensive salesperson time when that person really isn't ready to purchase. So that's one way that we work with them on that. I mean, anytime you change the sales process for a company, they're going to be a little bit nervous because, of course, that's their revenue stream. Uh, so we really have to help. We Well, first of all, we have to understand how they're currently selling, what their sales process is, and what the issues are that their salespeople are facing. Because at the end of the day, we really want to help those folks uh, not replace them or, or uh, cause them problems. And so it's really important that we understand them first. And then some of the other challenges, um, honestly, sometimes we run into folks that uh, their biggest issue is not to increase their revenue or gross sales. They might be more dealing with on the manufacturing end of things, are they at capacity and their lead time is, is pretty long out. Um, we can help those folks. It kind of depends on some of the particulars, but where we work with them on that, like one of the benefits we see is we usually uh, increase the average sales price of most products we sell because the visual component naturally upsells upgrades and increased, you know, like premium doors, premium windows, dormers, things that make it look aesthetically beautiful because now you can actually see the visual impact. And so they can sell just as many products, but the average price of each is higher. And so with essentially the same effort, number of people and volume, they can be doing more revenue. And so it's still able to help them. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a few examples of kind of how we work with people and maybe where they're, you know, not sure what the impact's gonna be, or they might be a little bit skeptical about it. Um, we've really, like in Shed's been doing a standardized Shed configurator for the past year and a half. And so we have a lot of evidence at this point, at least about the benefits that, uh, uh, that it can produce for them. Yeah, and I have a quick question, just a confirmation, actually. So, um, <clears throat> uh, Mariel was asking you about challenges and adoption. So, uh, I just wanted to confirm with you. Let's see if I got it, this right. So, you, you would just say that the biggest obstacle in adoption by clients is having them uh, uh, fully understand that there are still salespeople or humans behind the technology who need to build with the leads. Is that my, is my assumption correct? Did I understand correctly? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of one of the elements, which is if, if people want to talk to a salesperson, this tool can help enable and empower that salesperson. Uh, we do also enable the scenario where somebody could check out, and we do see it. They will configure their product, check out online, never having talked to anybody. Now, after that happens, of course, they always have to engage in sort of the fulfillment end of things once they do you know, put their money down. But uh, yeah, the, the, the human element is, critically important is still present in that 
in that sales process? What I'm hearing, Dan, is, is I think actually something really interesting because most people think it's either all or none, right? It's like if I go online, I'm basically competing with the uh, sales organization or the sales team or the call center, what have you. But what I'm hearing is this is kind of a bridge for those companies that have a high touch concierge approach to their sale because those products require that but it's a tool to enable them to be more effective either whether the salesperson uses it to show things or the end customer uses it to review information and then have a conversation is that is that an accurate assessment yeah that's that's a perfect summary and just as another example uh, a lot of our customers will put the configurator up on a big screen TV in their retail location to sit with a customer there and configure it. So it's just as effective as augmenting the sales process in that scenario. Or I know of one that bought iPads and as they're walking around on the lot, showing them real buildings on the ground, they can say, oh, I want that, but I want to change these four or five things and they can just stand there and do it on the iPad. So it is a tool that augments even in-person selling or if it's primarily going through the internet, then they can interact with them through email, through chat embedded on their website. There's a lot of ways you can interact with the customer and the configurator can enable all of those. Interesting. Um, okay, so let's, let's just talk a little bit about industries. I've heard you talk about home industry, right? Construction industry. Are there any other applications that are not necessarily related to sales? I mean, is this is this something that could be used by like an architect or a design firm or someone planning out of a, 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 a mall or even a city? Is that is there applicability for that kind of thing? There is potential. Um, really, what it makes me think about, if you push the paradigm far enough, is a, a BIM, a, a building information management system although those are much more complex. So we do talk with a lot of customers. When you say sheds and carports, I mean, you can push it to any kind of outdoor building. It could be a she shed, a man cave. We've talked with a lot of tiny home companies, folks trying to build with uh, uh, containers, you know, like modular housing, those kinds of things. And at one point uh, we were testing and dabbling in residential home configuration as well where they could be building out an entire development and there's a variety of floor plans and options available. Um, so yeah, you could keep pushing the paradigm. And really, in terms of the technology platform, what we're trying to do is build one platform to serve all of these industries in a very robust manner where it can handle all of the visual elements of the, of the CAD models and, and the components. It can handle all of these complex business rules that model the company and their business and it can handle the, the pricing. And so I'm not sure at what point we're gonna kind of hit a complexity threshold where it really needs to be fully customized or really needs to be like CAD and experts, but I'd like to push that paradigm as far as possible and really, again, enable non-expert users to do things like design their home or at least make their choices about their home and give people more empowerment to make choices that you know really get them the product that will best serve their needs. Does that, uh, does that help with that question? Yeah, it sounds like the typical innovator's dilemma, right? At what point do you cross that chasm into uh, more of a commercial uh, stream? Um, let's, yeah. let's shift a little gear a little bit. And um, So you went, you went through a pivot and you 
kind of reinvented yourselves, rebranded. Um, as a as, as an entrepreneur, can you share a little bit about your journey, what that's been like, what have you learned along the way? Any words of wisdom you'd like to share with other entrepreneurs who are maybe struggling right now with getting traction in terms of when to pull the trigger to make a pivot? Anything you'd like to share along those lines? Uh, I'm sure that there's plenty of, on our audience that would love to hear that. Sure. Yeah, so even looking back to when I made the jump to start the company with Russ, uh, it was a difficult decision. And at the time it was very scary, like very scary. Um, and I will be honest, it's probably the same as you'll hear, but uh, I have had a stomach ache for like the past six or seven years, you know, just do you pivot? Do you keep going? I mean, we've had existential, existential crises along the way. Um, the, the original pivot around Sawtooth Ideas to Idea Room, I think it was pretty clear we needed to make some form of change because we had really already done within the same business model, you know, four or five or six mini pivots. And it really became clear, like, there's, there's just not a way forward here. Uh, it was a two-sided marketplace, which is challenging unto itself. It really just didn't look like the niche market we were serving had the demand. And so I think that that point was pretty clear when we needed to make the pivot. Um, but what I learned even during that phase of the business was, and this has continued on through now, is you just have to keep experimenting with new offers all along the way, and you have to engage with customers. Um, I like I like the phrase uh, first, fast, and persistent. Um, you have to be engaging with customers. When you have an offer, you put it out on the marketplace, you start working like we did with Studio Shed when we built the first configurator. Uh, we built that first one with them, and then we did about three or four other shed configurators before we really standardized it for that industry and really found something that we could scale. And we learned invaluable lessons along the way just by working with those actual customers. It was a little bit like custom software development at the time, but it was just invaluable learning. And I'll tell you, even at that time, we weren't sure how quickly we would be able to scale it. It was approximately a year, a half, a year and a half ago when we finally built sort of the standardized platform that we could really onboard companies very quickly. And I'll tell you about two years ago, I think that's the time frame, uh, we would have been closing about one deal a quarter, and then it maybe went up to two or three deals uh, in a quarter. And then if you fast forward to now, we're doing more like five or six deals a month. And last month we had a really good month. It was like 10 deals. And so just the transition over the past couple of years uh, was when it was finally, we went from not profitable to profitable and significant and substantial growth. And I'll tell you all along the way up until there, you're not 100% sure you're doing the right thing. Uh, my business partner helped a lot because he'd been at earlier stage startup companies more than I had. And he had the confidence to say, well, my experience is you will get there eventually if you have smart people that you can rely on, if you keep making offers and adjusting and pivoting and learning. And so really, honestly, up until two years ago, it was almost all about learning and trying to find product market fit. And so everything we did, it was like, well, what are we learning? How are we, you know, reincorporating that into what we're doing and, you know, just keep moving, really. Um, 
So I, I don't know if that's a very discreet lesson, but does that does that help a little bit? <laughs> a lot of curiosity and grit. Uh, that's that seems to be a common uh, theme amongst startups. I have one more question, but I'm going to let uh, Marielle or, or Carlos uh, chime in before we're we're up because we're up. We're basically up on time. It's always uh, that always happens when we're when we're starting to have fun. But go ahead, guys, and I'll I'll okay. in at the end. Well, just one final question uh, from my side. Uh, part of what you do, the work that you do trying to help these kind of companies is to, uh, whenever you're onboarding a new client, you educate them on this current tendency of uh, highly configurable items. So what would you say are the, the key points that you talk to them about whenever you are doing this onboarding? Like, what are the, the key benefits that you offer for your customers? Great okay, the key benefits like our value proposition? Yeah. Yeah, so it really boils down to increasing their revenue or decreasing their sales cost or selling costs. So on the increasing revenue side, it's uh, can they convert more online leads using a configurator? And we've seen folks that increased it from, you know, like the conversion rate was 10%. They were closing deals with 10% percent of the incoming leads and that increased to 15% for example. Um, the other is the increase in average sales price. We've seen anywhere from an increase from 5% to 20% uh, and both of those are sort of primary impacts on revenue. Most businesses that's pretty compelling to them um, and then on the selling cost side of things is really you know salespeople are the driving cost there and their time and so it kind of goes back to that can they produce a higher quality quote uh, can they, with those embedded images, it's really clear what the customer is going to get and can they basically close the sale more quickly because the tool facilitates, you know, they're not having to run calculations on a napkin or in a spreadsheet. Um, they're not having to draw out something on a piece of paper to try to illustrate. It's all instantaneous, immediate feedback in the configurator. And so it just reduces the time. And so you can work with customers more quickly to get them what they need. So those are kind of the major things that we talk to them about in terms of the impact. And then really the final one is just competitive differentiation. We want to be the best configurator on the marketplace within the industries that we serve. And so we want them to always have the best customer experience compared to their competitors that aren't using a configurator. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, empowering the customer to make their, the products feel like their own is a really compelling thing so like we're going to be more interested into you know like you said conversion rates like finishing the cell whenever they have this this kind of options yeah and you know that again it's we really want the customer to feel well taken care of i mean at its essence you just have somebody who needs something or wants something to fulfill a need and you want to get them to where they can design the building that's going to meet that need as easily, as quickly, and even as fun as possible. Uh, and so when that happens, it's it's just great to see. It's very fulfilling. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure talking with you. It's, we're up on time. Uh, uh, Carlos, you want to close us out? Again, pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for, uh, again, thanks. Uh, thank you, Dan, for being with us uh, today. The only final thing I would like before let you go while we're still live we just simply make a quick announcement for next week next week is going to be interesting here in dojo live because we have a what we call a double whammy a double whammy is nothing but 
two interviews live happening on the same day without two hours difference. And it's interesting because one of the first one is going to be happening right here in our offices here in Mexico City. And we're going to be speaking with uh, Ruth Young Tubin, one of the uh, of the principals of an initiative called what's um, Tulu? Is it's AT and T um, uh, AT and T's uh, innovation for good? Yes. So, okay. Right. So that's one of the in the the cool things that happening next week, and that's going to be happening live. And we're going to be speaking right here at our facilities with Ruth. And, uh, and there's also a whole bunch of things coming up real soon right there. And it's all going to be there on the website. Just keep an eye. Next week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. And then uh, we have a second interview on that the same day. Uh, and we're going to be speaking with, let's see who we have, Gilad Salamander, CEO of eClincher. So that should be interesting, too. I don't have the full info because he hasn't seen yet the topic and tagline. But just keep an eye for that. Again, I encourage you uh, to keep an eye on our website. We're constantly updating it, especially now that we're revamping the whole thing and turning uh, Dojo Live into a full-fledged full media company. And so keep an eye on our next uh, two interviews next week, right here on dojo.nearsoft.com. And that's all I have, Tulio. And again, thank you, Dan, for being with us. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Tulio. And I hope you have a great day. Uh, Dan, stick with us for a couple of minutes for a wrap up. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Until next time. Thank you so much. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.